the Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. Cranberry Radio proudly presents her strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, chief storyteller at Styled Retail, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now, please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Retan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. The 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman, of course. Well, first up, you may have seen a little meme on your Facebook feeds from the New Yorker cover. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was pretty captivating. It was four female surgeons. This was an illustration, actually, by a French illustrator of four female surgeons, their faces obscured by surgical masks in an operating room, uh, looking down from the point of view of a patient lying on the operating table. And... Um, This was on the cover of the New Yorker's April 3rd issue, and it really started to galvanize a lot of people on Facebook to support women in medicine. Thousands of people started spreading the message, either sharing the the cover image or uh, recreating it themselves in some way with the hashtag, I look like a surgeon, which I love. And, um, you know, it's interesting because surgeons are one of the last fashions of kind of that all um, male domination in the medical world, even though uh, female physicians now make up 35% of the total number of doctors in the U.S., there's only 19% of them in the field of surgery. Um, Now, the good news is, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges, 41% of surgery residents and just the last couple of years have been female. So then it's a growing, growing number. However, there are some surgical specialties that still have your reputation as being somewhat of a, a boys club, orthopedics being one of them, uh, emergency medicine, same kind of situation, anesthesiology and radiology, of course, also all still very male focused. So in case you saw that cover making its rounds, now you know why, and you can join in in support of I Look Like a Surgeon. Uh, just love that. Well, our first profile today is the Gucci girl, a single woman in her late 20s and early 30s. There's about 2 million of these women out there, college grad, single, employed full-time, of course, no children, at average individual income of 35 to 90K. And these are women that like to keep up with fashion, hence the name The Gucci Girl. Um, They read the latest magazines. They change their style just because they want to. They're the first among their friends to try new styles. And they just love going out and shopping even if they don't buy anything. They want to get to the very top of their career. And they would like to have their own business. It's important to them, too, that their family thinks that they're doing well. And uh, at retail, they're shopping Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, um, and Banana Republic, just a few of those. They're driving Mercedes-Benz. These girls make a lot of money to drive a Mercedes, a Jeep, and a Nissan. Um, and they're they're wearing uh, Kenneth Cole, Calvin Klein, Chanel, uh, and Gucci. That's why they're called the Gucci Girls. Um, so what media are they consuming? Uh, they're reading Entertainment Weekly, Self, Vogue. L and yes, the New Yorker. 
Um, they probably saw that cover that I was talking about. They're watching EMTV VH1, uh, Bravo HTV, and TLC as well. Well, my guest today knows a lot about the Gucci girl and a lot about young women, and that's because she's not only one, but she's also a role model for many of them out there. Julie Zeilinger um, is a graduate of Barnard College just back in 2015, and she's done so much in her short life. Uh, she's the founder and editor of WMC's F-Bomb. It's a feminist blog and community for teens and young adults, as well as a partner with Women's Media Center since 2014. She's been at the top of many a list, including Newsweek's 150 Women Who Want to Shake the World and the New Times of London, 40 Bloggers Who Really Count. She's currently the deputy editor of MTV Founders, and her writing has been published on MTV, Mike, The Washington Post, Forbes, CNN, among many others. She's also the author of College 101, A Girl's Guide to Freshman Year, which came out in 2014. And then before that, a little book called A Little Effed Up, Why Feminism is Not a Dirty Word. It's been five years since that book was published, and I'm having Julie on today to talk about the state of feminism in the U.S. You're not going to want to miss it. Julie Zeilinger when Purse Strings returns. Purse Strings. We'll be right back after a word from our advertisers. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers. And engage with us anytime by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. So you can reach us before and after every program. Located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Access the new Cranberry Radio live stream player at our website, cranberry.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Purse Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back to Purse Strings. My guest today is Julie Zeilinger. She's a graduate of Barnard College in 2015. So in the small amount of time that she's been out of college, she's done a lot. She's the founder and editor of WMC's F-Bomb, a feminist blog and community for teens and young adults who care about their rights and want to be heard. And they partnered with the Women's Media Center back in 2014 while she was still in school. Uh, Julie has racked up the accolades. She's been named as one of Newsweek's 150 Women Who Shake the World. 
as well as one of the Jezebel 25 and one of the eight most influential bloggers under 21 by Women's Day magazine. And it goes on and on and on. She's currently the deputy editor of MTV Founders and her writing can be published, is published on MTV as well. Mike and the Huffington Post, Forbes, CNN, among many, many more. Um, She's the author of two books, one of which I really want to talk about today because it's been a while since it's come out and lots has changed. It's called A Little Effed Up, Why Feminism is Not a Dirty Word, and I welcome Julie to the show. Welcome, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. Boy, you know, you've done, you've packed a lot into your short life. That's for sure. You're a noted author, blogger, feminist, thought leader, and role model, I know, for many, many people out there. And yet you're still in your early 20s. What's led to so much of your success? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. And I think it it sounds maybe a lot more successful than it feels when you list it out that way. I feel like, you know, I am 24 and on a day-to-day basis, I still talk with my friends how we're all just struggling to get through on a basic level. But I mean, I think any success that I've had has really been because I've been striving for things I believe in and things I want to be doing. It really hasn't been success for success's sake. I know I grew up with a lot of overachieving, high achieving kids as well. And and they were always looking for something to add to their resume or something that would make them look good to other people. And for me, anything I've ever done has just been because I care and because I want to do it. And I think that that has sort of been why I've succeeded. Yeah, well, I think people know that, you know, I think people out there can find a fake and, and identify a fake. And I think you're kind of the opposite of that. It's clear that you're passionate. You're really passionate about what you're talking about. And, you know, I'm a mom of a teenager. And so we talk about feminist ideals a lot in my house. And I'm just curious, did you grow up in a home where these kinds of ideals were talked about and supported? You know, I I wasn't in an explicit way. Uh, I would say my parents definitely raised me in a feminist household. I had an older brother and I never felt like we were treated differently in any kind of way based on our gender. Um, I feel like those ideas were just kind of inherently in the environment in which I was raised. But even that, even just like 10 years ago, feminism was not discussed the way it is now. I mean, I think we'll, we'll get to this later in the program, but even just since I've been doing this work, I've seen a huge insurgence in people understanding what feminism is and having those conversations with their kids, which I think it's, it's amazing that you do. So I think even though I'm still young growing up, I think it was a different time. Um, but I, I feel really lucky having grown up in Ohio to have been brought up by as open-minded and inclusive parents as I was. Yeah. Congratulations to them. I'm sure they must be very, very proud of you because, um, again, you, um, you're a role model for a lot of people. And I do think role models are so important, especially to young women. Did you have role models, um, when you were younger? Yeah. I mean, I think even just from a very young age, it's sort of the stereotypical answer, but uh, my mom and even my grandma, I come from a line of very strong, intelligent, willful women. And I think just watching them as I grew up, it, it didn't have to be an explicit thing of them labeling themselves a feminist. Often it was just the way they held themselves or, or, or what they did in their own lives and presented themselves. And so from a very early age, I think I was imbued with a kind of confidence that Unfortunately, I think young women aren't always. Um, but then as I got older, um, especially and learning more about feminism itself as a movement, as, as a sort of academic discipline, one of the first feminist authors I read was Gloria Steinem, thanks to a great advisor I had in high school who handed me one of her book, books of essays. And that was just a revelation to me. She was the first 
person I'd ever read who was talking about these kinds of ideas. And it was just one of those really beautiful light bulb moments. So I definitely looked up to her. And then as I started getting into writing and blogging, uh, blogs like Feministing and Jezebel around 2009 and 2010 were a complete revelation for me. Uh, I had just never seen young, particularly young women writing so intelligently. And, and, and they were incredibly funny, too. They had a sense of humor about really important issues. So all the writers of Jezebel and Feministing at that time also had a huge impact on me. Yeah, you know, and here you are part of the Women's Media Center, Gloria Steinem being involved in that. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, it's come full circle in a, in a really amazing way. She's she's an incredible woman and uh, people because she is maybe one of the most beloved women in this country, I think. And people will ask me about her often. And I'm happy to report she's exactly what you would think and what you would hope she would be. She's incredible. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear that. Yeah. I have to say, I, I think she's phenomenal. And it's nice to hear she's just as nice in person Absolutely. as she appears to be and just as passionate. Um, you know, what? You, you hearken to this a little bit in some of your earlier comments that it seems like feminism's kind of had this resurgence. And I know uh, maybe in the last 24 months, right, this is kind of heated up. But before then, I, I know there was a lot of talk about young women kind of abandoning this feminist moniker that maybe they didn't truly understand the price their mothers and grandmothers and even great grandmothers have had to pay for the rights that, you know, they enjoy every day, that we all enjoy every day. Do you feel like maybe that was true until recently, or maybe there's still remnants of that? Yeah, I think it's been, as, as you're saying, an incredibly interesting few years for the feminist movement in general. And I think people within it and, and who are studying it are still trying to make sense of what's happened. But I mean, I think even still today, certainly in many parts of the country and many parts of the world, I think there is a lack of understanding of what feminism is and sort of how far we've come among young women. But I think the problem that I see is more with how that's depicted in the media and just in our culture in general. I think a lot of young women are depicted as sort of not great gratitude, like lack of gratitude for what their mothers and grandmothers have done, or they just don't care. They're ambivalent. Whereas my experience was that we just weren't taught about it. We truly didn't know. I mean, like in, in my history classes, we would spend weeks on battles that happened during the Civil War and having to learn all these intricate details about men's history and all and all these things that happened uh, many hundreds of years ago, but had no education about the feminist movement or the gay rights movement or any kind of progressive social justice movement that had happened in the past few decades. So, and I think there's definitely a growing awareness. I think a lot of that has to do with young women and, and sometimes older female mentors or other mentors, other academics, uh, mainly through social media and online, really spreading this information in a more dynamic way. But I think that doesn't always reach all young women. Um, and there still is a lot of progress to be made in teaching young women about that history. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't think the feminist movement of the 70s, like 60s, 70s, is something that's really taught. Yeah. I think it's almost like lore handed down, you know, from <laughs> generation to generation. And if you're you know, and depending on how socially active your family is, or, you know, you may or may not have heard those stories. So I think that's even more of a reason why it's important that voices like yours be heard, frankly, Julie. And I know five years ago, you broke onto the scene with your book that I mentioned in the bio that I gave at, at, up at the top, which is a little effed up. Uh, for those who haven't read it, can you quickly recap some of the main points from the book? Yeah, so I basically approached that book as the book version of my blog, The F-Bomb, and essentially just wanted to create 
as, as we were just talking about, uh, we, uh, young women need a primer, just a basic education about what the feminist movement is and how it relates to them. So I go into a little bit of the history that, that I wasn't taught in high school back to ancient times through the modern feminist movement in a fun, dynamic, not boring history textbook type way at all. Uh, then I get into defining some of the terms because I think I've heard from a lot of young women, you know, one of the things when they find feminism that can be kind of off-putting are these sort of academic terms. And it feels like you already have to sort of be part of this club and in the know to even have a discussion. And I just wanted to break down that barrier. And then I also get into a lot of the issues that particularly affect young women and sort of the sexism and discrimination they face on a day-to-day basis in order to make it feel really relevant to them. Um, so basically, that's a long way of saying it's, it's basically like a manual to, to feminism for young women. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, what, if anything, has changed since your book debuted? It's been five years now. So and then we just we were just talking about the last 24 months being so critical. I'm just curious to get your take on that. Yeah, I mean, so much has changed. And the the election itself, of course, is like its whole other thing that we would have to deconstruct in terms of its impact on the movement and, and especially young women. But I think even even before that, just since I started the F-bomb in 2009, I've seen an incredible insurgence of young feminists and especially embracing this teen feminist identity. And I think so much of that is because of the internet and social media. When when I first started my blog, it was really the only place that young feminists could come. Um, And it's based on submission. So young women from all over the world, and young men too, actually would, would write sort of about the sexism they were experiencing, about their understanding of the movement and sort of found a community that way. Since then, uh, with the rise of spaces like Twitter and Tumblr, I've seen so many young people come together to not only learn and share actual information and sort of snippets of feminist theory with each other, but have a more dynamic community and sort of through hashtags and and, and through different reblogging and posts on Tumblr, like actually finding each other and having a community and having a conversation. And I think just that ability and that access has accelerated uh, young people's understanding of the movement by... Mm tenfold even more. It's, it's incredible just over the past few years. Yeah. And I, I think not only their understanding, but their willingness to get involved in what I would call kind of a resurgence of the movement. Um, yeah. You know, more activism, you know, the, the march on Washington, for example, the marches that happened all over the country after the election. Um, you know, my daughter today wanting to go to St. Paul, Minnesota, where we're in the Twin Cities and wanted to be part of Solidarity Day at Planned Parenthood. You know, just those kinds of things. I feel like we're starting to see more of that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just sort of goes hand in hand with that awareness. I th- one of the main things, and I discussed this in a little left up, is I think one of the biggest roadblocks for young women joining the feminist movement is not feeling certain that they can be part of it or how they fit into it, even beyond a basic understanding and like feeling okay with that understanding of a, on a personal identity level. Um, I think when young people, you know, young people are so self-conscious and trying to figure themselves out on a more general level anyway. And when they see their peers or other young people they look up to, like there's so many young celebrities now who are doing amazing work, like Rowan Blanchard and Amanda Stenberg and all these young women that young girls look up to anyway, lead by example. I think it it, it makes it so much more accessible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Julie, and we come back. I do want to talk a little bit more with you about the presidential election and what you think its impact has been on feminism and also on our ability to get a woman elected as president. So everybody stick around. Julie Zeilinger returns in just a moment. 
purse strings. We'll be right back after a word from our advertisers. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Founder Circle. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back. I've been chatting today with Julie Zeilinger. She is the blogger behind the FBOM.org. It's a feminist blog and community for teens and young adults who care about their rights and want to be heard. And um, she lives also on the Women's Media Center and has been named by on almost every single list you could imagine as a top blogger and an influential under a certain age. And um, she's also the author of A Little Effed Up, Why Feminism is Not a Dirty Word. And it's been five years since that book came out. And we've been talking a little bit about how things have changed uh, since then. And one of the biggest things that have happened in those five years, of course, was the presidential election. And um, I mean, we saw uh, misogyny in action blatantly, and for many, it was a reminder that perhaps we haven't come very far. What's your take on that, Julie? Yeah, I mean, I think there were so many d- dynamics and intersections of ideologies that were happening during this election that I think we will still be dissecting it for years to come. Um, I think one of the more interesting things I saw, especially among young women, um, which on its face, I think some people interpreted as a sort of internalized misogyny was sort of this rejection of Hillary Clinton based on their feeling that they sh- they were being pushed to support her just because they were women too, just because it was identity politics. Um, and I saw this among some of my own friends and people I know there was an almost defiant rejection of that, often in, in favor of Bernie Sanders, 
sort of to push back on the idea that women should just be voting for other women. Um, and I think that's just one of the many dynamics that was happening. There was also, as young, many young women observed, blatant misogyny <laughs> in terms of support for some other candidates uh, and just sort of contending with the fact that there are people who will go and rally in the streets and say, almost verbatim say, I do not women want women to have rights in this country. Um, so a, on a lot of different levels and in, in different ways, there there was definitely misogyny evident in this election. Yeah, there was. And I think for Hillary Clinton, I think there were so, while you talked about this pushback on Hillary, just because they didn't want to feel like they had to vote for a woman because they were women. I think also there were a lot of young women who very much supported Hillary uh, yes. Because they wanted to see a woman president, and I think maybe also because they supported her politics, which is at the end of the day what it should be, right? We should be yeah. voting for people who we believe is going to lead this country forward. But you know, we've got another election coming up in just a few scant years. You know, can't get here fast enough, in my opinion. But you know, what's going to happen for this next generation of leaders? Who's going to be their role models? Because we're running short, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the upsides of this election, and it's incredible to think that there there were any, was that there actually was a record number of women of color elected to Congress. Um, and that number is at an all-time high. I believe it's 38 women of color serving in Congress now. Um, so I think there there definitely are still role models in politics for women to look to. Um, uh, senators like Tammy Duckworth and Kamala Harris, who were just recently elected, are, are doing great work already. Uh, Senators Kristen Gillibrand and Elizabeth Warren have continued to do great work. So, I mean, I think those voices and those presences are there. Um, and beyond even just like the actual female politicians or female leaders in general to look towards, I think this election has just energized young women in general to be more politically involved and to lead. I think if for no other reason than looking at our current president and saying, I could probably do a better job than that. And also, it's if, if that is what our country's standards are right now, I feel compelled to act. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I actually am hopeful for the future. I think it's been a tough few months already, and it's going to be a tough few years. But I think our country has to react to this and can't and will change because of it, hopefully for the better. Oh, yes. And I think many people are in your camp, myself included, but also Marianne Schnall, who I know you know, yes. who's the author of What Will It Take to Make a Woman President and the founder of Feminist.com. I had the pleasure of talking to her a few weeks ago. And uh, of course, we talked about this. That was the whole point of our discussion was this. And she was very hopeful as well, Julie. And you know, I think she sees it as an opportunity to get more people, more women involved at all levels of government, you know, to really galvanize, especially young women to get involved in their community, you know, yeah. run for boards, run for uh, community councils, that kind of city councils. And just to really get people active again, you know, that it's, you know, um, it's not okay just to be lazadaisical and quiet and assume everything's going to be okay. It's up to each of us to yeah. do something if we want to see change. Absolutely. And I think that that's actually been uh, beyond gender or feminism. I think that's been a key outcome of this election is just a resurgence in interest and awareness of local politics. And, and even just on the level, like down to the level of getting involved in your school boards, like that's how the Tea Party rose was through getting onto school boards. So I think a lot of people are understanding, you know, it doesn't, it, it would be great to have a woman president, and hopefully we will have one someday. But that's not the only 
political goal that we should be focusing on. It's not the only measure of success for a female leader. There are so many ways that women and any other American can get involved and make a difference in this country. Yeah, no, and I, I, it's a good point. You know, men are part of the solution as well. And, um, you know, especially I think around this uh, incorrect and net negative perception of being a feminist, you know, what it really, really means. And to have men support feminism today, I think is pretty vital. Yeah. Uh, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I think the one thing I've seen, and this also goes along with the sort of trend of feminism in social media, I think, based on the, the success of this community, as I was talking about earlier, is you'll often see now men wearing shirts that say the future is female or, or shirts supporting Planned Parenthood. And that's all well and good. But uh, and I think that's important, like the, the, making that statement is important at the same time that I think what I would say to men who want to be feminists or or, or questioning how they can, I think it comes down to actually acting, like saying you're a male feminist or saying you support feminists is one thing, but, you know, voting on issues that affect women in, in, in a way that helps them, calling your representatives and, and urging them to vote for issues that favor women, um, and, and getting out there and, and, like, volunteer with Planned Parenthood. I think men can and should be feminists, but we have, and I think it, it goes for women too, who identify as feminists. We have to focus, especially in this day and age on action over identity, I think. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely agree with you. So final words, what kinds of advice do you have for maybe women listening today who um, want to see some positive change in our, in our, in our world? Yeah. I mean, this is so corny and cliche, but I really think what I would say is believe in yourself because, you know, I've been working with young women in a variety of capacities over the past few years. And, you know, there, I, I hear stories about people who run into blatant discrimination and, and systemic issues that prevent them from achieving their dreams or being their best. But then I've also witnessed firsthand uh, women holding themselves back, especially young women doubting themselves, not believing they're capable of something that they're absolutely capable of, even even just on the level of like refusing to raise their hand in a classroom. And, and I think there, there's so much we need to do to make bigger change. But I think on the individual level, it really starts from within and, and believing in yourself and, and supporting other women as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Julie Zeilinger. Really appreciate you being on the show today. And I do recommend that people check out your website and, of course, read your books and read your blog. Uh, you can learn more about Julie at juliezeilinger.com. Julie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to my producer, George. And join me right here next week for another edition of Her Streams, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 